Oh God, speak through my mouth. Think through my mind. Listen, oh God, through our ears that we might receive what you would say to us today. Help us to hear the good news. In your name we pray. Amen. I forgot to tell you all this, but, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago was announcement Sunday when pastors who were moving were to let their congregations know, and I just want you to go, no, I'm not, nobody will take me, so I'm not going anywhere. Um, so, yeah, well, I didn't do that just for applause, but it does feel good. Thank y'all. Um, I mean, I'm glad, I'm glad I didn't hear a groan. That would be hard. That would be tough. Um, one of you gave me, and I'm, I'm glad I'm not in the market, and I'll tell you why. Because uh, uh, one of you gave me um, what people were, what this church was looking for in a pastor uh, this week. Wanted. Here's what we want our pastor to do and to be. Preach very deep sermons. Exactly 12 minutes long. We want our next pastor to frequently condemn sin, but never upset anybody. We want our pastor to make $100 a week, wear good clothes, buy good books, drive a good car, and give about 80 each week to the poor. That's good. I like this one. This is for sure. We want a pastor who's 28 years of age and has been preaching for 30 years. We want a pastor who has a burning desire to work with teenagers, but is always with the senior citizens. And finally, we want our pastor to make 15 daily calls to church families, visit shut-ins uh, and the hospitalized, evangelizes the unchurched, and is always in the office when needed. So there you go. Um, you know, what's crazy is when I heard Max read this scripture I kind of was thinking, wow, Peter, the one who wrote this, are you being just a little bit uh, over-demanding of those of us who call ourselves Christians? I mean, this is a lot to ask for, right? Do not be afraid of those who want to harm you. Really, really, Peter? Do not lose your cool when explaining to people who are trying to embarrass or shame you. But always give a reason for your hope and do it gently. Are you kidding me, Peter? Right? Those are high, lofty qualities. Who could do such a thing? Now, some people would say that Peter, and let's just throw Jesus, that Jesus and the New Testament Scripture is asking us to do all these things because they know we can't do them. That way we run into the merciful arms of God because we're such failures. I want you to know that is not the Methodist or the Wesleyan way of looking at Scripture. John Wesley said that that would be such a mean trick that God played on us if God didn't call us to do things, but just for the sake of making us depressed. That's why we're called Methodists. That's why John and Charles Wesley and others in the Methodist movement, the Methodists were, it was the method, right? That, that we are people of the way. That we are called by God to do greater things than we could have ever thought, not because we're all that good, but because God's grace 
is all that strong. I get in my brain what Peter is trying to tell me about treating my enemies and those who torment me or terrify me. I, I get why he's saying it. It's just, is it livable? Is it practical? I know Jesus could do it, right? And he did it, was perfect. But he was the son of God. I'm not. Even if I could do it like Jesus and forgive my enemies and turn the other cheek when somebody humiliates me, even if I could do it, look what it got Jesus. The cross. He was harassed. And I don't, I don't really want to end up in a place... I mean, not that I have to be famous or everybody love me and all that, but um, I don't know if I want to end up in a place where people are mocking me. But you see, the point of this letter is to help people get closer to Jesus, not to make a bigger gap between us and Jesus. And what Peter says is, let's go back to the basics. Let's go back to the basics. The most fundamental truths about what Jesus reveals about God and about us. Peter says, let's start right there, right in our text. Now, we believe Jesus to be the complete, exact imprint of God's very being. What you see in Jesus, you see in God. Nothing that you don't see in Jesus will you find in God. He is the very imprint of God's very being and we who follow Jesus are called to grow closer to living like Jesus now you know that and I know that but each day somehow some way with God's help by the amazing grace of God hopefully that gap is closing on all of us I don't know as I'm as I'm getting older I realize that problems in life don't get any easier as you get older you just kind of grow in your capacity to handle the tough parts of life. And I think, think that's even more so, more true with Jesus. Notice that in this text, right? Notice what happens at the end of the reading. Peter mentions baptism. Baptism. The process of growing closer to living a life like Jesus begins with the meaning of our baptism. Our baptism says this, if it says anything, that before anything else, God loves us. What came to us through baptism was a love of God that does not depend on how talented we are or how religious or how pure we are. I will say it before we break bread, while we were yet sinners. What? Christ died for us. That's grace. We may not feel it all the time. Some may not want it. Others may choose to ignore it or reject it even. But the truth is that God's love stands before all else. It's really easy to fall sometimes into some bad conclusions about God right off the bat, even having said that. Sometimes the message is this. God loves you. You better love God back or God will punish you. That's the old turn or burn strategy. You ever heard that one? I know people that have said it like that. But don't fall for that. Because that kind of thinking creates the worst version of Christianity. Already way too much of that is in our world. Because baptism at its deepest 
is about receiving new eyes, God giving us a new eyes and a new heart and a new perspective, right? A new perspective, something to see through, spectacle, perspective. It's a brand new way of seeing the world. A perspective that is broader than our own limited assessment of ourselves. And this perspective is God's perspective. I think of like Noah's Ark. He brings up Noah, right? And and God hangs a bow in the sky. It's a double word. It's not just rainbow. It's also weapon. It's the same Hebrew word used for weapon. God is like, I'm hanging up my weapon in the sky. And from then on, God began to look at us through rose-colored glasses. God God looked at us through God's grace and most definitively through the grace of Jesus Christ. That's how God perceives us. It is our worth in God's eyes is so the intrinsic value is so high. We are worth so much to God that Jesus is willing to die for you and, and me. My mom told me this story, and I don't think it happened, but it's a good analogy. It's, it's about, um, uh, maybe it is true, I don't know, but it just sounds, you know how you hear a story and you wonder, you probably have heard a few from me and you've wondered. But she would tell me, when she was trying to teach me about the love of God, she told me the story about a child who was ashamed of her mom, the bottom of her mom's arms. There were some deep scars right under her arms. And um, when they went to the beach or the pool or in the summer, um, like the daughter just didn't even want to, I mean, was so embarrassed about it because it was these, these unsightly scars. Until she realized and heard the story that her mom saved her from a fire and reached over that crib and got her out. And was injured for her. So those scars represented something different to mama than it did to the daughter. But she never looked at those scars the same. Do you realize in baptism that God got you out? Do you realize that in baptism the good news is that you are saved by grace through faith? It was nothing that you did. But from then on you get to live like you won the lottery? Because you've already won. If you know that God has saved you for a purpose and for a love greater than anything you can imagine, you've already won. You're freed from that terrible trap of tyranny, right? Of self-pity and doubt. Because that's a lot of times where I'm tempted to go when something bad happens to me. Somebody treats me poorly. Somebody wants to embarrass me. I see that suffering as like poor, poor, pitiful me. I forget who sang that. I used to love that song. Who sang that song? What's that? Linda Ronstadt. What an awesome singer she was, is, whatever. But anyway, poor pitiful me, right? The word suffering is mentioned 17 times in 1 Peter. This is about seeing in your suffering something greater and and a greater purpose. Because my suffering, if I'm following Jesus, my suffering can either be a wall or a bridge I can wall off the world and lick my wounds or I can use it as a bridge to know that my scars are like Jesus' scars. My life is in Christ and His life. Suffering, when connected to a greater purpose, will lift us from this 
cynicism and self-pity and the world is out to get me. And it will create a living hope in us that will be so conspicuous in this world. Do you hear what, what Max said when he read Peter's letter? It says, always be ready to give an account of the hope that lives inside of you. Peter says, hitch your pain and your joys to the recognition of a larger purpose. And you will find a living hope. We connect our lives to a larger purpose than that which our oppressors or people that are, are out to get us, they could ever even dream for. See, that they don't have the power. We've got the power, the, the living hope. That's what you carry within you. So we grow closer to God because Peter says that those who've been far off have been brought close to God. And it gives us the ability each and every day to live a little bit more like Jesus because we're, we're listening to God tell us who we are through those rose-colored glasses, not the world, the blood of Christ. And a lot of people get stuck on this word obedience. Oh, that's a bad word or something, like we're robots. You know, we only... But look, obey means to hear clearly. In the Hebrew, it means to hear closely. Right? To listen so closely to God. Maybe that's why God doesn't scream most of the time, but God mostly whispers so that we get close to God. Bear Bryant, uh, I hate to use a sports analogy, but I'm going to have to use it, but, uh, especially in Alabama sport, like Alabama fans need any more uh, Bear Bryant stories. But here's one, though. He talks so, he almost whispered to the 120 guys on his team at practice because he said, if I, if I get my voice real high, then people will get noisy. But I want them to strain to hear me because they have to get close. And maybe God is whispering to us to get us closer. Connect your life to Jesus' life. The centerpiece of this text is hope. Listen to God and find your hope again. Our lives in Christ is a story of how we listen to the Spirit, to Jesus, to God. And that's what defines you and me. And when we suffer, yes, that's going to come. A suffering Christian must always remember that we serve a suffering God. If you suffer with hope, people are going to notice. Sometimes people are going to ask you about that hope. They're going to ask you why you act the way you do in a world where everybody should be afraid. And there's your chance. But they have to see it in you. If they don't see hope alive in you, they're not going to bother asking. But I hope that's what St. Luke's offers this world. Hope is our fuel. Can people detect hopefulness in you? That's your witness. That is your witness. So live good lives. And just like it was said in 1 Peter... Most of the time, you're going to be just fine. Because who's going to get mad at you for doing good? But when that happens, and it will, when it happens and it will, they're going to notice there's something different in you. So be ready to give an account. And give it with love. And give it with gentleness. Because you're not trying to prove yourself anymore. You're connected to God. 
And your hope is hitched to the wagon of Jesus Christ. And that will get us through. And that is our hope. May we have the courage as we rise from this table to live with hope, a living hope. Amen and amen. I invite us now.